Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 67 of the North Meet South web podcast. Sixty-seven. It is a new year. It is new 2020. year. Twenty twenty. New decade. And this is twenty twenty. Did you see that Barbara Walters meme thing? Twenty twenty. No. Did you see 20. that? No. Okay. So twenty twenty is like a show in the U.S. It was like a news show, and so they have like you know gobs of clips of Barbara Walters saying, "And this is twenty mm-hmm. twenty. And so there was just a meme going around, like they just like patched them all together, right? And <laughs> of course so, they uh, did. Yeah, of course they did. It was kind of funny. Yeah, so New Year, lots of crazy stuff going on. I don't know if it happens to you as well or not. And I think it's just kind of like the, um, it's just the whole New Year thing, right? Everybody's like reevaluating and like, okay, like how did we do last year? What are we doing this next year? But like so many great ideas come out in the beginning of the Mm -hmm. year. Um, And it seems like everybody just gets energized and charged up and ready to go and lots of energy. So yeah. We got some new stuff going on. Uh, one of the new things is a new microphone. So yeah. you may have noticed if you've listened closely to previous episodes, maybe not even closely, if you've listened on headphones, you would have noticed that my audio was jumping from left channel to right channel and then back to mm-hmm. left channel and then back to right channel and then whatever. So Michael was like, you need to get a new microphone. And so... You stole ta-da. one from work. You stole one That's from correct. work. That's correct. So the scenario was... A couple of years ago, I had the great idea. I was like, guys, we should do a podcast. I said, that's an excellent idea. We should definitely do that. So they bought four of these mics and a huge mixer and like preamp and everything. And we promptly recorded one pilot episode and never recorded again. And that was like <laughs> two years ago, maybe a year yeah. and a half ago. Yeah. And so when you said that, I messaged Jordan, you know, Jordan Pearl. And I was like, hey, you know, those microphones we have sitting in the media closet. So like, what would you think about me taking one of those to record with? He's like, yeah, that's fine. We're not using that. <laughs> so now it's on my desk. I've got a permanent home for a microphone now. Nice. And um, there we go. Ta-da. Of, of course, might. like my poor wife, is, uh, this is my office. My desk is in our bedroom. So like my wife is sleeping elsewhere while I'm recording this at 11 o'clock at night. She's such a trooper. I think Thanks, you should Laura. probably move your office out of your bedroom. That doesn't seem right to me. You Dude, it's like the other place. The only other place I could have it is in the spare. And here's the real deal, right? A lot of times when I'm working, I'm either working in the morning or late at night. Mm-hmm. And I just like want the proximity to be close to like Laura. Cause I don't get to like, you know, I'm at work all day. We don't, we have kids. So like the kids take up much of the evening. So like if I'm going to be working, I at least just like to be in the same room. It's like, it's yeah. not like we're actually spending time together, but it feels a little bit better, I think. And so I actually like it in here. Uh, I don't, you know. I hear what you're saying, though. It's kind of like people who are like, no, we're not going to have a TV in our bedroom ever because it's like, you know, that's all you'll ever do is just watch TV and, you know, fall asleep to watching TV yeah. every night. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I get the argument, but that's my argument, my counter argument, counterpoint. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I have to move my yeah. office. I have to move my office to the other side of that wall into the other really? room. Well, I kind of always had this this room was always going to be my study. And as things have gone on, I, you know, we've got Eli now. And if we have more kids in the future, this is the room that's got the the built-in wardrobe. So the other room does not. And in order to save space, when we eventually move a child into this room, I need to take all of my things and go out there. But it's a real 
pain because the the spare room has got a bed in there and the bed doesn't actually fit in and out of the room unless one was to pull the whole bed apart into pieces. Yep. And my desk was actually built in this room by the people that we bought the desk from, which means that it was assembled in this room from pieces, which means, again, I have to pull the whole desk apart in order to get it out of here because it won't fit through this door. So I'm hoping that I can just unscrew the like the bench top and take the, that out in one piece and then sort of take the two sides as like two sides without having to pull the whole thing apart. So okay, um, that's fair. Yeah. But yeah, I've been meaning to do that since last June. So maybe I remember, hearing, I remember talking about it. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> hopefully I can do that soon and then I can, you know, put in some floating shelves and, and you know, I've got this bit of soundproof acoustic foam that's kind of just, sat on the back of my standing desk here at the moment so you know it's falls down every time i lift the desk up and down and yeah i can put all of the things up on the walls that i want because then that'll be a, a permanent fixture in there and then set up all of my led lights and things like that yeah that's right i you were talking about led lights the other day mm-hmm. yeah taylor puts them up and now they're all the rage right they are like all the rage. Wants I don't the, everybody wants these led lights i don't even know where my lights have gone like i have some on this desk but the way that it's set up at the moment they're not because of that piece of acoustic foam, it um, it just blocks the light when I turn it on, so it's no point using them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where the switch is for those lights. I don't even know where the other lights are that I bought. They're just gone. It disappeared. I, think- I, I so like this is what happens when you have children, uh, and and like it's just like literally. I don't even know if it's because it's Eli's fault, but like I just blame my kids. Whenever something <laughs> goes missing, it's their fault. It doesn't matter if they touched it or not. I blame the kids. Yeah, the kids Did you- touching all my stuff. Did you listen to the Laracast snippet? Jeffrey Way was talking about fatherhood and how children are the little assholes that just walk around the house and just drop things all over the place or take things. And yes, Eli Eli does it. You look at him and you say, don't do that. And he looks at you with this big grin on his face and then he does it anyway. Yeah. Like, hey, that that bowl of yogurt you just finished, please don't throw Mm -hmm. that on the floor. Yeah. And then they throw it on the floor. And yogurt all over the place. (laughs) Remade AM. His favorite thing at the moment is um, remade a smoothie this morning for him. Here is your smoothie. And then she went and made a smoothie for himself. And he was quite happy drinking his smoothie until he saw mum's smoothie. And then he wanted mum's smoothie and only mum's smoothie. And his smoothie was not good enough. They were both exactly yep. the same smoothie, but his was yep. not good enough anymore. Of course. Yep, Just like he knows that that juice comes in a, like in a little box with the straw. Yep. And so when I took out, a juice box this morning, which was not even a juice box. It was a, we've, it's called an up and go. So it's a, like a breakfast drink. And he saw that and he says juice. And I said, no, there's no juice. It's not juice. And he says juice. And then he starts crying. So then I have to give him that. And then, and then he drinks all of my juice. So, oh my gosh. But yeah, yeah coupled with that, that ran the behavior with he's 19 months now. So he's like, I guess on that fast track to terrible twos. And it's, it's not terrible. But if you tell him no now, he just like gets down on the ground on all fours, head down, prays to Mecca and starts crying. So that's always fun. And all we can do is laugh because it's totally unreasonable for him to behave mm-hmm. like that. And it's yeah. just funny to look at. So, yeah. you know, he's doing know. that like and, sometimes- and he's and he's teething at the moment as well. So he's got all four of his molars. Two, the two on the bottom have come through, but the top two are just antagonizing him at the moment so the nights have been rough because he's waking up four five six times a night luckily most of his wake-ups are while we're still awake so they kind of end around midnight and then he might wake up at one and then he'll sleep from one to six thirty seven, which is 
lucky, but you can't really do anything because he's waking up every hour. Yeah, so no late nights out on the town. Sorry, no, no parties for us, sadly. to die, my friend. I'm sorry. Well, we just have to put it on the back burner for a bit. For a bit. Yeah, you'll be fine. Hey, you'll, we should probably survive. move on to something constructive before Adam Wyland gets upset that we're talking about I was nothing literally to do with thinking the about that. I was thinking about <laughs> that. We might have to cut all this out. So Yeah. Hey, we were gonna we we're gonna thank we we're gonna thank our sponsor. We've got an actual real bona fide sponsor. Fathom Analytics has jumped on board for a couple of episodes with us. So we will talk a little bit more about them later in the show, which probably yeah. won't get that far in considering we're already seven, eight minutes into recording. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll re-record the first part of it and talk again. Talk talk about something different. Who knows? Now that we've got all our catching up done out of the way. Yeah, so Fathom's pretty cool and I'm really excited to have them on. And I was like on Twitter and was watching a bunch of people that I follow jump on the bandwagon and they're really great platform. So I reached out to them and Jack, who's one of the guys over there, was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's try this out and see what we can do. So really awesome platform. Excited to talk about it a little bit later. So I've got a couple of things I want to talk about today. I've got some things that we've been working on at work, text messaging and short codes, um, mm-hmm. email capture, as well as like sort of using email as a new entry point into your application. Mm-hmm. We had Redis and Qs that was on the list. I know you've had some issues with that recently. Yeah. Um, we've been using state machines a lot at work, which sounds nice. crazy, but like we're actually using it now a lot in view in the front end. So we've been using mm-hmm. X state, uh, in the front end to manage a lot of our stuff, our components. And then I've also got name comparison in Levenstein distance in here. So we've got a Ooh, lot of topics boy. we could, could talk about. So what do you think? What should we start out with? Let's, let's get this Reddit stuff out the way because it cool. pains me and it's been paining me all week and I still haven't really honestly gotten to the bottom of it, but We've uh, we've been having these issues where we are we have our own like service like status tool basically. If uh, if we have a service disruption, we flag all the users that are affected and we send them an email. And for some reason, just this last week, because the the issues have been a little bit bigger than they have been in the past, we're starting to get customers receive the same email two or three times, which is kind of strange because. It's been working fine until now. And because of the, the way that Horizon works, it, it must be failing somewhere, right? So it retries and then it sends the email again. So it thinks that the email has failed to send, but in, in reality, it has sent. So we put some changes in there to basically go, hey, we insert a record into the database. Oh, no, sorry. We check to see if the record in the database exists. If it doesn't exist, we'll create it and then we'll send the email. So in the event that something tries to send the same email to the same email address for the same disruption again, uh, it just it skips it because it's already in the database. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you would think that works, but the new hardware that we've got is is so quick that the data the database appears to not be able to keep up. So we will like write the record, send the email, but the duplicate then comes in and the, the database record hasn't been committed yet. So it doesn't see that it exists and then it sends it again. So when that's happened and we've gone, you know, we've expected like 500 emails to send and suddenly it's sending 1,200. It's like, crap, how do we stop this from happening? Is it literally because the hardware is too fast? Is that what it is? Well, that was one of our suspicions. I'm not entirely sure that's true. You have multiple threads picking up the same queue. Is that what it is? Doesn't it do like, doesn't Redis do like atomic operations or something? I thought so. Um, we're, we're, only, we're only seeing the issue in production as well. Like we have the test. We're like, this is the scenario we're trying to avoid. 
this is what's happening. It looks like the the job that dispatches the individual email notifications gets called twice, but it only happens in production. We have not been able to get that to happen in development. So basically when this has happened though, what we wanted to do is just like get rid of all those emails. Like don't don't send the emails to customers. The, the, the original, actually, let's backtrack. The original reason we thought this was happening was because we had Horizon by default will time out after 60 seconds. Yeah. And if the, the job fails, it'll try again. Now it doesn't yeah. finish, so it like tries again. So we just changed that from 60 seconds to one hour. It's like, well, you know, we could be sending a lot of emails, so we need to make that as long as possible. But you're doing it as one job? So one job goes through and finds all of the users that need to be emailed and then dispatches individual jobs for those. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're thinking it takes you're thinking it's taking longer than sixty seconds to run the query that's actually gonna go grab out all the emails? That that queue. original one definitely yeah, it was because we were seeing the failed job that it timed out. So we know that it was failing. So we thought, okay, we'll just increase the timeout and that'll fix that problem. But it didn't. Then we put, as I said, this whole thing with like writing a record to the database and then checking if that exists and then creating it and then sending the email and that didn't fix it. Well, because because the other thing would be possible, right, would be that like you're going through and the query is getting to the point where it's saying, okay, I found, you know, 500, go ahead and start queuing the emails, it gets 200 mm-hmm. through and then it stops and then starts yeah. over, right? And, and, and that was what we saw was that some customers received multiples and some customers didn't get any at all. So we assumed that, you know, that was all linked to that timeout. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't, yeah. So we've got it to the point now where it sends all the emails, but we're still seeing some duplicates, which doesn't make sense. And it's not like consistent duplicates either. So we're not sure. The thing that I noticed yesterday is that when we like submit the disruption, it actually fires the like the first job twice. And I can't see any reason why it's doing that. Like I've traced the code path to see like why it's being called multiple times and where it's being called from. We even went so far as to disable the queue worker on the second server. So we run two servers right. in, yep. so in HA. Like, okay, so maybe that's what it so is, we just yeah. went, we turned the cron, we thought the crons were overlapping, but the crons are set to not overlap and to only run on one server. So that shouldn't be an issue. So we just turned the crons off. We turned the horizon workers off on the other server and we're still. And you only uh, have one right. Redis server, right? Yeah. 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 And the other thing is we're using one Redis server for multiple applications, yep. which, you know, normally is fine because they're all prefixed and, and they're all separate from each other. But when we're running into these issues, um, I've tweeted about this subsequently to this, but we were just doing like Redis connection flush all. And that is fine, except it gets everything that's in Redis. And because it's one server, it gets everything from all of the applications. So it's going in there and then it's going and like logging users out of other apps. And So the other thing that you can do, which we've done, and I've looked up because I, I can't remember if it was yours. Did you have a blog post out there about using Redis on multiple servers? Or using multiple, mm. you know, you know, having multiple apps use the same Redis server? In any case, yeah. what we did is we actually switched which database they were using. So we try, there's mm-hmm. like, I think there's like yeah. three. So it was like, yeah. Fail, you know, I can't remember what, there's like zero, one, and two are the default ones that it uses mm-hmm. for like, and I don't remember which channels it is for, for what, but then we did yeah, like Yeah, so zero, three, zero is cache and one is session. Okay. And then two is for QJob or for Horizon yeah. or whatever? It's, or it's for something else. I'm not sure. But when you do a flush all, it just goes and flushes everything. Okay. Even if like, even if the other app was using three, four, five, like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, we've seen it though. If we do a flush or it flushes all of the sessions, all of the jobs. So, and everything yeah, from cache. So, um, yeah, I haven't really gotten to the bottom of it. As I said, I've noticed that the the main, the like the, the job that goes and finds all the 
people that need to be emailed in production runs twice, like within a second of each other. They'll run two times and I don't know why. I've had some of that weird nothing, stuff before too, man. And it's like the, literally the most frustrating yeah. thing in the world to troubleshoot. And it's, yeah, it's, and it's one of these like scale things where it only happens in production because I sat there and I put, uh, I didn't go so far as installing xdebug, but inside when the job was called, I just logged a, a debug underscore backtrace, which is a PHP, you know, stack trace function. And so we can see like what is calling this and it never got called more than one time. So I don't understand why that was happening. And then the, the last issue that we hit was the, the mail provider we're using, SendGrid. They have rate limits on some of their API endpoints, but they don't publish what the rate limits are. They just oh send gosh. back an X, X rate limit headers, yeah, which is fine. But apparently the mail sending API doesn't have a rate limit. Now, it's not documented that it doesn't have a rate limit, but you know, Googling around Stack Overflow and whatever else, people had suggested that the send API has no rate limit. And when I did a curl request against that, it didn't return any rate limit headers. But we could see when we're dispatching the jobs, like it would get to a certain number and then everything would just grind to a halt. And then instead of taking seconds to run the mail out to X number of users, we had one that took two hours. Oh my gosh. So the service disruption was finished long before yeah. they, you know, the they customers got, got the email, emails to right. say that there, that there was an issue, which is, you know, obviously a problem because why send an email an hour after the problem was finished? Correct. Yeah. So there was that. So then we used the Redis throttling yep. inside. And because it's not a job, we're just like doing for each email recipients as recipient, um, notification, route, mail, whatever. Yeah. So then wrapping that in a, in a throttle, that seemed to have fixed it. So we send, we guessed that it was, you know, 500 every 60 seconds and that seems to be okay. But the only problem with that is we can't now run our tests because we're like directly tied to Redis. And when you do that Redis throttle, it tries to connect to Redis. And if you don't have Redis, like I don't have Redis installed on my local machine. So those tests just fail. Is that um, Redis a facade though? Yes. Can you just swap the facade in the in the test? Yeah. Like, I mean, I just went and looked at Laravel. Laravel has this interacts with Redis trait in the in its framework tests. Uh -huh. And it just basically goes, oh yeah, if we can't connect to Redis, just skip the test. Which locally is okay because we push it up to CI and we've got CI set up to use Redis server and and actually run those Redis tests, which I suppose is okay. Longer term, I'm just gonna have to install Redis locally, which isn't yeah. the end of the world, but it's it's annoying now because there's that there is tight coupling between that specific part of the code and you know Redis being available. Right. So that's not ideal, but no, we'll work not. around it. I mean, it's not like we're going to swap out from Redis tomorrow, and we're not going to change away from Laravel. So it's not a, you know yeah, it's it the end of the world. Yeah, it makes it hard when you're testing locally. Ideal. That's really that's really difficult. Yeah. Um, so you don't know if those tests pass if you don't have Redis locally, which means you won't find out until ten minutes later when the tests eventually run on. CI. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah, it's annoying. Sorry, man. I mean, those are those sorts of problems, um, like race conditions sort of problems are always so extremely frustrating and difficult yeah. to, to troubleshoot, especially if you're in like a high availability environment because like you have to be everywhere at once kind of deal. You know what I mean? You have to be able to monitor yeah. both places at the same time doing the same thing. You know, it's just, it's hard. Lots of, yeah, lots of problems and no solutions at the moment, especially because we've been unable to replicate any of this right. weird behavior. So we're just taking stabs in the dark and, and seeing if it works. So we're getting there, but yeah, it's tedious.
Yes. Yes, I get that. So we've had not similar problems at all. We've had our own problems. And uh, one of the things that we were having to kind of look at as a possible solution is we need to be able to compare names of two people, essentially, mm-hmm. and figure out if they are the same person. Um, so the the likelihood, well, the likely scenario is that you have something like John Dorinda, and then one spelled with the J-O-N, and the other one's the J-O-H-N, like John Dorinda, right? Or mm-hmm. maybe they left off the A, John Dorinda, or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Like a misspelling, typo, data entry error sort of deal. And we need to basically yep. be able to compare those two and see how similar they are and give us a confidence interval that we're willing to say, hey, in the, in the case that these two are really similar or, or you know, have this much confidence that they are, in fact, the same, let us know. Like, And so looking at using something like – so I'm trying to figure out because there's like three different types of comparisons that you can do this with in – in PHP, there's three different types of like things where you can say, here's a string, here's another string, tell me how similar they are. So the one that I'm looking at or that I had kind of originally looked at was the Levenstein distance. And I believe this takes into account how many like letters they have in common and what positions they're in. And then it assigns mm-hmm. a score yeah. to it based on those things. The other one I know of is like how how much do they sound alike? Like if you are pronouncing them, how much do they sound alike? I think this would be interesting if you're doing something like uh, voice processing. So if you're saying, hey, I'm wanting to take your voice and then create a text out of it, right? Uh, that's, I think, in a situation where if that was your input, if a voice was an input, then it would be valuable to compare it by what did they sound like when they're actually pronounced audibly, right? But I think that in the case that it's just a typo, I think that the Levenstein distance actually probably makes more sense because it's, mm-hmm. you know, likely if somebody's just typing on the keyboard, they're just going to misplace one character possibly, right? Rather than you know, it's not, it's very unlikely that they're going to sound the same. And that's going to be the thing that's going yeah. to determine whether or not they are in fact the same. The other thing that I've been thinking yep. about too is the, is sort of like nicknames. So like Jacob or Jake, right. Or yeah. um, Jim and James, right. Like those sorts of common substitutions for, for names. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to look and see, I spent just a little bit of time looking at that to see if there's any sort of package or service that you can subscribe to that you can kind of send names up to and it will you know see how similar they are yeah but that's kind of been an interesting problem that we're we're looking into i have no idea how i'm going to do it yet but i know that this levenstein thing it looks looks pretty cool have you used that before i think you were actually the one who first told me about that Mm. yeah there's a whole bunch of them there's like levenstein there's metaphone there's similar text all of these things are available yeah there's all these things in php um, and there's Soundex as well, where you could, you know, see if Soundex calculates, the, I don't know, Soundex have the property of the words pronounced similarly produce the same Soundex key and can thus be used to simplify searches in databases where you know the pronunciation but not the spelling. So there's all these kinds of things. What What is the context? Like, what are you actually trying to achieve? So we have a data set from a client that's coming in and we're trying to figure out if these two people are in fact the same person. So they might put in, you know, there's there's two different fields in their in their uh, data set that they're sending over to us, and if uh, we have you know, let's just say it's subscriber one and subscriber two, subscriber three, subscriber four, subscriber five, or something like that, right? And I need to check mm-hmm. to see if subscriber one 
is the same person as subscriber four, which I know sounds insane. Yeah. Like, why would that ever happen? It's, believe me, long story, but that's the situation essentially. So we're trying to figure out how similar are these two. And then if it's really similar, if they are quite close to being the same, or if we can infer that they are the same based on something like nickname or something like that, then we want to alert our our examiners, our claim examiners is the, is the team that handles that. It's basically a data entry to mm-hmm. extra, basically pay extra uh, careful attention. So like actually do a manual look at this to like get some real human eyes on it and be like, oh yeah, that actually is the same person. Or no, I don't think it is. It's just, yeah. it's just something, you know, some one-off odd case. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're trying to do. It could cause some problems if they were the same and we and we didn't address it. So that's kind yeah. of the the situation we're looking at. So yeah, I see similar text, which basically calculate, calculates the similarity between two strings. And then we have, yeah, Levenstein, which calculates Levenstein distance. So Levenstein distance is defined as the minimal number of characters you have to replace, insert, or delete to transform one string into the other string. So that's where I think like you have this, you know, this whole idea of like, if they're just, if it's just characters off, you know, if it's just a couple mm-hmm. characters off or something like that, like a typo, that seems like Levenstein would calculate that pretty well. So anyway, yeah. Or, or you know, the other possibility is we basically just run a bunch of them. We say run Levenstein, run similar text, run Metaphone, run Soundex, and then get an average score, you know what I mean? Or something like mm-hmm. that and say if they have an aggregate score of, you know, whatever it might be, then go ahead and flag it for a manual check, something like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, all of these things are about confidence intervals. Right. So that would tell you, you know, this is 90% similar or this is whatever. And then you, you'd probably still have to go, you'd either have to decide anything above 94% is the same, or you would have to then flag those ones as ones that you need to manually review. Right. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you could have a, you could have like a double con, like sort of, you could say if we're over 90%, just go ahead and automatically assume that it is the same. Mm-hmm. And if it's between 75 yeah. and 90%, then we definitely want to just get a manual look at it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. idea for it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that could be kind of cool. Um, and then like it depends on what you're trying to do. You could you could possibly throw it into Elasticsearch or Algolia or something. But that's that's more if you want to search for it than... Right, just to compare them. You know, yeah. than to do similarities yeah. between those to compare them, so... I mean, I suppose using something like that, you would still have to search for them one by one and see what comes back. So right. probably not the the most ideal. Right. But yeah, inter- interesting, interesting um problem to solve. How big is the data set? Uh, like, like okay. So right now, the data set that we want to go through to do some comparison is about like it's not that big, maybe like fifteen hundred something like that. Yeah. Um, okay. But it's going to be used yeah. uh, moving forward as well. So it would be any new any mm-hmm. new items that come in, we'd also want to take a look at those and and kind of see you know how similar those are. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I wish you good luck. I hope hopefully we will hear about how you went forward with it in the not too distant future. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey. Um. Do we want to take a quick second to talk about Fathom? I think now is a great time to talk about. Fathom. Awesome. So. So Fathom is a analytics company. So you can compare them if you want to as a quick comparison to something like Google Analytics. But the differences between Google Analytics and Fathom are not small. Um, and in fact, I am in love with Fathom. I, I looked, took one look at their dashboard, was immediately impressed. And so that's why we wanted to partner with them. We, we think it's a really great service and wanted to tell you a little bit about it. So it's a simple privacy focused website for I'm sorry it's a simple 
privacy-focused analytics company for bloggers and for businesses. So the thing about the dashboard is it shows you everything that you would want to see as an individual looking to get insights and nothing that you don't. This is one of the biggest complaints I have about Google Analytics. They have everything, but because they have everything, it's really hard to infer anything valuable, right? So they show you what pages are popular, what websites are sending you the most traffic, and all of that from a super fast single screen. Here's the other part that I absolutely love about this. They are GDPR compliant and their tracker does not collect any personal data. So you know those cookie pop-ups you get up on every single website? You don't have to ever do that mm -hmm. again. So your, your visitors never have to see that annoying pop-up, but you still get all the amazing benefits of being able to see your analytics in a really clean, simple, actionable way. The other thing that I really like about this is that it started by two guys, two Canadians, as it would be, of course. Canadians are taking over the world, Jack and Paul. And these guys are a tiny company, but they have massive infrastructure. They are really, really smart guys. And their mission statement is uh, our deliberate actions and the way we, that we begin this company and continue to run it with respect to our customers and their website visitors is always to be fair and honest. And these guys are just salt of the earth sort of dudes. So huge fans of their stuff and think that it could be really valuable for you uh, to check out if this is something that you'd be interested in. You can find out more information uh, by going to, let me pull it up, usefathom.com slash north. And this will get you $10 off of your first invoice. So thank you very much to nice. Fathom for sponsoring the show. We're looking forward to having them back in a couple of weeks. And uh, go check their stuff out. We would really appreciate it. I'm pretty sure that two things that are pretty cool, two other things that are pretty cool about Fathom. Number one, I'm fairly certain it's built with Laravel and Tailwind. And number two, I'm fairly certain that they're hosted on Vapor. Oh, really? So, yeah. So they're, you know, basically ready to scale. And um, there are... They're sort of tangentially part of our part of our little community over here. So yeah, a lot of people that uh, yeah, thanks to Jack and Paul. Yeah, a lot of the people that I follow were were um, jumping on there. So like Justin Jackson, uh, Jack McDade. Who else? I know there was a couple other people. I can't remember. There's anyway. I know there's been about four or five of people that I follow and admire that I've seen that have been using Fathom and really really enjoy it. So yeah, I'm stoked to try this out. I think we're so. You know, we use Google Analytics on a lot of our stuff, but we never look. We never look at it, right? It's like we yeah. might as well not even There's be so there stuff. because it's yeah. so hard to get anything out of it. So um, we're yeah. definitely going to be using this at our at our company, um, and their pricing is really reasonable mm -hmm. too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they um, yeah, Google Analytics gives you everything, and you can never find anything right. as a result. Right, exactly. So yeah, cool. well, thank you, Fathom Analytics, for sponsoring and seriously it would be super awesome and super helpful if you would literally go sign up for just a trial use fathom.com slash north we would very much appreciate it if you would that would be excellent and of course support these guys okay so we've got a couple other things we wanted to talk about so one of the ones i wanted to talk about was automating email capture and using email as an entry point into your application so this is not a new concept. Uh, in fact, we've actually talked about this uh, before on the other podcast. And Beyond Code, Marcel, actually has a package called Laravel Mailbox. And what his does is it handles incoming emails in your Laravel application. So they've got different like handlers that you can use for this. So I think it uses 
Well, let me look real quick. It has a couple different drivers, right? So it can use Mailgun, SendGrid, and let's see here. Yeah, and the local log driver for debugging, right? So there's a couple different ways you can do it. But essentially what it does is it allows you to have an email inbox for your application and then have emails sent there and then be able to handle them with your application. So Marcel, I think a lot of us know, like he's like the bot guy. So you could really think about this almost like a chat bot, really, if you if you wanted to, just like a different driver for a chat bot. Uh, but you get an email and mm -hmm. then you can do something actionable with it based on the contents of that email. So we've been doing this at work for a while and we can't actually use something like Laravel Mailbox because we are using Outlook 365 and that's not like a supported thing, right? Um, so what we're doing mm -hmm. instead though is we're using the Outlook 365 API, which is surprisingly decent. It took us a while to kind of figure it all out, how we wanted to do it. But I wanted to kind of share some of the things that we've come up with that have been really helpful in allowing us to be like actionable about these these items that come in. So when an item comes in, the first thing that we do is we move it from the inbox to a processing folder. So it's almost like it's going from one status to another and you're kind of kicking it to a queue. So we create an intelligent email record. And once we create that intelligent email record, we kick off a queued job that's called uh, detect matching rules. So what we then have is we have this set of rules and there, uh, and those rules have a contract which have two methods. There's detect and there's handle. Uh, so the rules first go through and all they're doing is they're just detecting. So this rule will just say, is this a email that has a file number that I recognize? Or is this an incoming assignment? Or is this an incoming ticket? Or is this a ticket response, right? So these different rules and the only thing that they're supposed to do in that detect step is to just see, identify the type of email that it is. So once they've detected, uh, what they will do is they will either return null if they don't detect or they will return an array payload items they grab out of the subject or out of the body that would be useful for the next portion of the job. So you detect all of those rules. It could apply to one or more rules. And then in the next step, after you've detected uh, any rules that it matches, you then look to see the array of payloads that came back. If they're all null after you filter the array, you just say, drop it, mm -hmm. don't do anything, move it to the error folder, because this is not only an automation email inbox that stuff gets sent to. If, however, there are matching rules, then you go through that same set of rules and you pass that array into the handle method on all of those. So these are just job classes and you queue all those as well. And then you can do uh, whatever you'd like. At that point, we've captured the email body and any attachments and dropped it into a folder. So we have a folder that you can get to from the intelligent email, say intelligent email files, and it will just grab all those, those attachments in that email body. It captures the email body using browser shot by Spassi and drops them all in mm -hmm. one folder, and then you can do anything you'd like to do with it. So it's become a really powerful tool that we're able to use to kind of uh, automate a bunch of stuff. So anytime that we're very heavily compliance, uh, we have a lot of compliance rules that we have to follow. So any emails, any communications, things like that, we have to document all of those. So anytime somebody sends out an email now, if they want it copied to a file, all they have to do is BCC IQ, uh, you know, whatever our email address IQ is. And then they just have to somewhere in the body put like a special tag uh, that has like a, a file number. And then when it comes in, the email inbox detects that and then it just captures it to that file. So it's been really cool. It's been really, really cool. 
but nice. I thought it'd be helpful. Maybe I, it's like, it took a lot of time to develop this thing. And, um, it's yeah. been interesting. We've had to add a couple new rules recently. And so it was fun to kind of go back through that code base. This is the first code I think I've gone through in a while that was written more than a year ago that I looked at it and was like, that's actually pretty decent. Like I'm happy with that code, right? <laughs> that doesn't happen all that often. Yeah, good. No, yeah. never. Almost, Almost never. never. Almost never. Almost yeah. never. Yeah, I suppose that's that's why the um, Laravel mailbox, this package from Marcel or from Beyond Code, is you know it supports Mailgun, it supports Postmark, and it supports SendGrid because all of those providers like do all the parsing yeah. for you, and they'll return you you know here's the from, here's the to, here's the CC, and all of that kind of stuff. So it makes it really easy in terms of then having to parse out the body. That's where it starts getting tricky, having to look for like file colon blah or, you know, expecting, especially, I, I suppose if you're using it as an internal tool predominantly, it's okay because you can train your staff. But for, for someone like us, like we can't train our customers to send us an email that has some key in it that we can detect to do something automatically with because you just can't. Like, for example, we started doing things with SMS recently where when a customer signs up for a new service, there may be a development fee attached with that. So we send them an SMS saying, hey, there is a fee to proceed with this service. Please reply yes. And then, you know, when we get the yes back, so then we have to look at a yes is easy because if they send back yes, whether it's like capital Y, lowercase yes, or all caps or all lowercase or whatever, like you can just string to lower that or string to upper that and compare it with a known string of yes. And then we can process that. If they reply with literally anything else, if they have like, yes, please. And we did actually have a oh, yes, no. please once, which was amusing because we joked about it. Do we, do we add some handling in here for people that are polite? And, and we didn't in the end because, you know, just doing one word is much easier than anything else. But, you know, if they say yes, please, or if they, you know, we've had people say no and things like that, then we flag it for manual handling. So using SMS for those simple yes, no cases. And like, I'm sure it's fairly common over there. It, it is here now. Like if you book an appointment for a doctor, they will send you a reminder the day before yeah. saying, you know, please confirm with a yes. Otherwise call us to change your booking right. or whatever. So yeah, it, that kind of stuff is really useful. And as you said at, at the start, having that as just another entry point into your application, you know, JMAX talked about it previously with Laravel shift, where if he sees that something's failed, he can send a, a text message with a, a shift ID to some endpoint that he controls and then get it to automatically rerun that, that shift from, from his right, phone. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, just thinking of all these things as entry points into your application rather than um, weird and wonderful processing things is a, is a really good way of, um, of looking at it and a powerful way to interact with your application in, new ways yeah there's a couple things that were really interesting that i discovered along this uh adding new rules as well which is that spassi has a has two packages that we're going to be using with this next uh step of the rules which is one of them is called pdf to text so originally i thought i was going to have to pull the pdf in and then do ocr on it and then try and figure out what the text was on the page but if you've ever noticed with certain pdfs they're actually selectable the text is selectable so they didn't embed it in an image in the pdf they just left the text kind of as selectable text. So if that's the case, this Spassi package, uh, PDF to text, we'll just 
parse the text right out of the PDF for you, and then you can do whatever regex you want on it. So this is once we download that yeah. first attachment because the email that we get in, it's easy enough to determine by the subject line. The subject line always comes at the exact same. It's easy enough to determine what type of file it is, but then all the rest of the information that we need is in the attachments. All of the emails are exact same. The only thing that's different is the attachments. So we have to grab that first attachment and then basically take the PDF, convert it to text, and then grab the information that we need out. And then uh, uh, the other one was they have a PDF to image. So we have to take the first two pages of one of them and convert them to an image and drop them in another folder. So Spassi just like, oh my word, as I was realizing how much stuff that we're using of theirs, uh, it's like, we got to put them on our Christmas mailing list, send them some chocolate over there. Like <laughs> we send Taylor chocolate every year. Yeah. Like it's this big box that we yeah. send to all of uh, all these people that we work with. We we need to send some stuff over there because seriously, we use their stuff all the time. I don't I don't know that you want to send chocolate from America to Belgium though. They'll steal it in the mail. Well, I mean, the Belgians make some pretty good no, chocolate. No, no, no. Let me be clear. It it wouldn't have to go far. It wouldn't have to go far because it's made in Belgium. Right. 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 So they would just they would send it from the factory straight to those guys, and then no big deal. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea where the chocolate's made. Excellent. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. So what were you saying just a second ago? What did you tell Excellent. me? I missed your message. What are you saying here? I think I think we should briefly touch on Dead okay. King Me Let's talk because about it, yeah. we said it was going to be out in October and then we said and November we said, and then we said it's coming it, soon it and now yeah. it's... Yeah. Yeah. So I, I... Unfortunately, I had gastro over Christmas. So I was planning on spending a bit of time over my two-week break working on it and which for those of you americans listening that's the stomach flu the stomach flu there you go so yeah uh, it was a really good christmas detox actually because i got i got hit with it just as we we're about to start christmas lunch and then i fell asleep about two o'clock in the afternoon slept until seven that night woke up went uh, for probably 10 minutes or so realized i still felt awful and then slept until seven o'clock the next morning so and meanwhile, you know, Eli was not sleeping well and, and I had the look from Ree in the morning again when she came in at five o'clock and said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was not uh, happy about that. So yeah, I was, I was sick for three days, but um, I, yeah, I was planning on spending some time that week uh, all well, those two weeks that I was away, you know, when Eli was napping and, and later at night to, to nut some stuff out on then ping me and get it to a pretty good place. Unfortunately, you know, the sickness prevented that, but I did oh solve yes. what I think is one of the biggest stumbling blocks. And that was, we made a, a pull request to the framework a few months ago to get it to send events when a scheduled task starts and ends or is skipped because it's, because uh, you've got a, um, when a, a truth yeah. constraint in there. Yeah. A when, a when in there. So um, we put that in there and then subsequent to that, when Jake had started working on the individual pings coming from the applications, we realized that there isn't actually a way of linking a start and a finish event to each other as a single execution. So if you were to have a task that starts but never finishes or a task that starts and um, you don't have without overlapping running, for example, and then you get a second start event before you get the first finished event, you've got no way of aligning those things with each other. So, you know, and then we looked at, oh, we'll just take the the earliest start event matches up with the finished event, but because of all those things that I just mentioned, that doesn't work. So we did actually in the end find a, because I, I didn't want to have to submit another merge request to put in like yeah, stuff very right. specific to us into the framework, which 
doesn't work. And I didn't really want to go down the path of having to overwrite the framework things in our package. Like I don't want to have to swap out the scheduled command on our end. We, we have talked about doing that for older versions of Laravel that don't have... Yeah, for, yeah, for backward support, right? Yeah, so if you're running something older than 6.1.whatever in your environment that you can still use, then ping me. So we might do that later. Obviously, our focus is getting the current version of Laravel working. So uh, it, it is ticking along. The other thing that I wanted to just discuss briefly, or at least float the idea to you briefly, Jake, is something that we do because we run in HA, we've got things coming in from different yeah. servers. So I don't know if you want to like pre-configure a server when you install, because you know we talked about the install sure. command and that would go and ping with all of your commands and 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 you know what is the process for that where do you run that do you run that in your local environment and then you know just tell then ping me to ignore any pings that come from local or do you have someone run an artisan command in production to be like hey this is this is my production server and this is where you should be tracking it from but then if you've got multiples do you want to run it from multiple servers I or think do you it, just say like these are the tasks and we receive this ping from this server and then just store that it came from that server yeah. when when it runs the only problem that I found with that is that if you deploy the application to a second server or a third server or a tenth server, you may forget to run the command and then you don't notice that it's not running because we're not tracking that the commands should be coming from somewhere. So we're not saying, you know, we didn't receive a ping. Now, the other thing there is that you might not receive a ping at all from the second server. If you've got, you know, on one server attached to a scheduled command, you may never actually see a scheduled task run from server two or server three mm. or server 10. So because you're saying you would want so because what you're saying, I think is I think is what you're saying is, well, two, maybe two separate issues. Let me talk about the one that I think is maybe the most complicated, which is, would you want the same job to be running from multiple servers well, let's just stop there. Yes, that's the question. Well, do you want do you want to do you want to register all of the servers that a ping yeah, could well, come from, or that it should come from? Because I don't. If if the only question is, do I care to register all the servers it could come from? I don't think it's no. Then mm. I, if if it's only where it could come from, I don't think there's value. If I think it's where it should come from, meaning it should mm. be coming from over here and it should be coming from over here as well then you would almost have to set mm. those up as two separate jobs that you're monitoring because then if one of them pings mm. in and the other doesn't you can't just treat that as one job that you're monitoring or one you know task that needs mm. to be run that you're monitoring so you would almost have to fingerprint them with a unique ip or something like that some way to identify the server that it's coming from yeah. so that's a good question yeah. do you so let's talk about the situation let's mm. talk real life situation do you have anything that you do like in your high availability environment like that well we i mean we've got the crons running on both servers right and we've got all of our scheduled tasks set up to run without overlapping on one server so in theory they should never run on two servers at the same time because they get the lock on redis they set that they're running and then the other server doesn't run. So it's not, I would never expect it, but I think we should flag if it does come from do a different do, server. And here's my other question then. Do you, uh, so you have the crons set up on both of them, but because you have without overlap, whoever gets it first, the other one can't, is the idea, right? Uh, the on one server, the on one server prevents it from coming from multiple places. Okay, once. but they're, okay. 
on one server. All right. So if you say without overlapping, yeah. but you don't explicitly add chain on the on one server method, both servers or or three servers or ten servers could all run the same command at the same time. Yep. And then is that something that we should alert? Hey, you've got multiple servers running the same command. This could be. Uh, here's what I think. I think we start. I think we would start super simple. So I would say, I would say first first scenario like I only care to monitor one job per application rather than by server. Like if we're if we're if our mm -hmm. biggest concern is that this job has run for this application within this window of time, which I do think is probably our typical. Yeah. Then I would say that would be the first set. That would be the first feature that we would we would do. And yeah. then eventually there may be scenarios where we need to say like also. If you care to, you can say here are multiple servers and you need to keep track of or have separate jobs for those servers or mm. something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the biggest thing for us is monitoring that a job doesn't yeah. run at all. I think it's a consideration that we notify. I think it's a consideration that we notify if it if the the current run does not come from the same place as the okay. previous run. That doesn't necessarily mean you're in HA. It may just be that you had a 7.3 server 7. and then you yeah, deployed correct. a whole new 7.4 server yeah. and you just deployed your application yeah. there. So, yeah, talking that through, I think maybe it doesn't really matter where it comes from. You might... You might know where it comes from, yeah. Trigger, yeah. We'll definitely know that it comes... You know, we'll do it based on IP. We'll know that it, that the application, that, that the ping comes from a different server. We could make like we could introduce Correct. that later yeah. on. That notify me if this comes from sure. a different server. I think initially it's probably important that we just say like it's not yeah, running yeah. at all anywhere. Agreed. In production, I think we should alert if it comes from an environment that's not production. Okay. Hmm. Just be like, hey, whoops, you know, we got a ping yeah. from local. Yeah, that's interesting. Or, you know, whether we, you know, and you could turn that off, I guess, because you you could be pinging a, a remote API with development data, sure. for example. I, you know, just I don't I don't know how important it is, but you know, if we're going to be monitoring your production application, the other thing that we said then, I think at one point was we said, um, yeah, like so we have the option to either exclude them if they come from an environment where it's local, or or capture them but not apply them to the production. You know what I mean? Like you could almost do like a Stripe sort of thing where you have like test mode, live mode. And if it's coming from local, you mm -hmm. can almost say like, we're seeing these from local, but they don't necessarily apply to like the production sort of like yeah. alerts. We could subtract yeah. them and just say like it came from a non-production environment. And then it's like, if you want to see that you got alerts, uh, that you got pings from there, then yeah. you can just yeah. show them. Um, I think you and I discussed that we would track execution. So you would have a, an app, a, a project that has tasks that has executions which receives yeah. pings. So when we get a start, that would start a new execution. And then when we get this, the finish, that'll close right. the execution. And so there would be two events for every one execution. We may never, we may never show the pings because I don't... Like if we say that it started and it ended, you don't need to know, like you don't need to see the specific start and stop event, but it's useful for us obviously, because we need to know when those and things happen. And how long happen. it and takes to run. And from all an that, audit yeah. trail perspective, yeah. And, and we can do all those calculations with that. So I think, you know, those are the three things that we show. We show the, the projects, we show the tasks that are being monitored and, the, and their health. Um, you know, it's running normally, uh, it's missed a thing, it's failing, like we haven't received the ping for a week or whatever. 
hopefully it doesn't yeah. get to a week. Um, I <laughs> saying that I did actually find that one of our applications when we moved it to new infrastructure hadn't been running its cron at all, which explained a whole lot of things to me. Dude, <laughs> yeah. And I and I stood up and slammed my hands on the desk and I said, "This never would have happened if we were monitoring this with some kind of remote pinging software yep. as a service." Wow. So. And I think you know Aaron and the rest of my team are getting yes, sick of me. Yes, it saying is true that, though, so. dude. I mean, we do it. We have we have our own, but it's garbage. It gives me false alerts all the time because, and those are even worse. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's no fun. Because then you go investigate it and you go look thirty seconds later, and it's like, oh, it was just a, it was just a two seconds late. No worries. Mm-hmm. Darn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Anyway, I think that's a pretty I good agree. place to wrap it up. Um. So yeah, just just so those of you know that. We are still working on it. We are busy, busy people. Um, I've got like three or four freelance projects that all landed in my lap that I was supposed to work on this weekend, but did not because Eli's been yes. teething. So yeah, it makes things tricky. And then work's been very, very, very unreasonable this week. So I won't go into it too much because I can't really. But if you know, those of you that know where I work and, and the things that I do, it wouldn't be hard to figure it out. But I, I won't talk about it publicly. Yeah. <laughs> Probably good, probably good option. So, good yeah. But if you are interested in a scheduled task application monitoring SaaS, give us a give us a look in. If you go to thenping.me, uh, you can pop your email address in there and we will one day send out some updates and let you know when we're ready for early access. We should probably push we an probably update should. to that page to not yeah. say that it's coming in Come, November. Does it say 2019 it does. or does it just say November? November? Maybe we just leave it for 2020. Yeah, sign up for early access beta opening in yep. October. So we've got oh, months we to good. work on this. We're all good. No, we should. Yeah. Um, we should We should definitely get on that. It'll be good. I, I'm I looking agree. forward to it. I am it. too. And also simultaneously terrified if people start relying yep. on us. So. Yep. Um, but yeah. We'll, we'll leave it at that for now. We've we've figured out some fairly important things in terms of like tracking executions and that. So it's just a matter of, we've got most of all the tests written. It's just a matter of, it's a bit finicky having to write the the app and then the API and then the the package itself that writes back to it. And, and you know, this is a fairly simple app as compared to something like, you know, Flare and Ignition, but they probably had like, 15 people working on that over the course of a year so i don't feel so bad at the moment but we'll, yeah, we'll there's, get there. there's some bachelors with no kids on there too so you know excuses make <laughs> yeah. me feel better yeah hey everybody thanks yeah, yeah that's thank exactly you so right. much for listening episode 67 is that right all right northmidsouth.audio slash 67 is where you can find show notes for this episode if you'd like the show uh feel free to rate us up in your podcatcher of choice and of course reach out to us on twitter if you have any questions at michael dorinda at jacob bennett and we also want to give a big shout out to our sponsor fathom thank you so much for sponsoring the show as well as our wonderful patrons andreas uh, Joe from Work Vivo, JP Davey, C2 Yosumo, and Rasmus Nielsen from WeWork. Yeah. Thank you everyone so much for contributing to the show. We are so thankful for it and thankful for you. Hopefully you all have had a wonderful start to, new, to your new year and hopefully you're staying away from sickness. All right, everybody. We will see you in a few weeks. Hey, don't forget to like and subscribe to us in your podcast of choice. And I I, you probably said that, but it it's is, worth saying always. again. Because I like seeing the numbers go up. Agreed. Agreed. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. See ya.
See you.